Church, James chapter 5. James chapter 5 this morning as we're kind of getting near wrapping up this book. And I'm telling you, it's just one of the greatest joys of what we do, that we walk through God's word together and we see how these things tie together, what they mean for us, and that there's no word, there's no moment in God's word that's wasted, that he's speaking something very directly to us. And as we've talked about over these last few weeks, what God has got for us as our faith is lived out in works, as it is, it is manifested from what we believe about God and who God is and what God's doing within us. And, and this morning's no different. And, and, and we're going to use one verse this morning to really just bring, begin to land the plane over the next couple of weeks of what God is trying to communicate and show us and reveal to us in his word about who he is and about who we are and our place as we work from victory. We work from this place of victory in Jesus this morning. So I want to read the text this morning and then pray and ask God to reveal to us what he's got for us. James chapter 5, we're going to be reading verse 12. James chapter 5, verse 12. It says this, But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any oath, but let your yes be yes, and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I ask this morning as we approach it, God, that you would reveal to us the truths that you have for us. God, speak through me. God, let it be your words and not my own. God, and open our hearts and minds to your truths. Father, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name. So last week, we talked about the patience that we find in the promises of God and what that does for us and that the Lord never stops working, that even in our worst situations, in our worst struggles, in our worst suffering, God is using those very moments to develop us, to sanctify us, to mold us into his image, this perfect image that he's working out within us. And, uh, and, and this morning as we continue, you know, this whole series has really been so much about our words and our actions matching who we are internally and who we act like we are and the things that we say, these things really coming together into this action, into this work that is lived out from our lives that just isn't for show, that just isn't to, to appease people around us or isn't just to be this presentation uh, to make ourselves feel better about a certain standing we have in a community or in a group of people, but he's bringing us to this real, this honest, this very clear picture of who we are and who God is in our lives and not to, to lay before us these rules and regulations that we abide by. But when we're called to God, God's intention for us is to live amongst and within the abundant life that he has for us. And he tells us, and that's this whole book is really about, is about walking in this victory that he's provided for us because from the victory of Jesus, as we work and we walk, we find confidence, we find assurance. We don't. We have no need to act. We have no need to be uh, to be pretending anything. 
You know, and, and getting up to this point, that's what James has constantly tried to show us. And like we've talked about every week, James is kind of this mirror, kind of this commentary almost of Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, James is the brother of Jesus. And in the beginning, James didn't believe in Jesus, even being his brother didn't believe in him. And he would later on, obviously, he took notes during the Sermon on the Mount. And later on, he would become a pillar of the church and begin to speak into the Christian circles, the, the lives of these Jewish Christians who were struggling, who says, they were scattered and they were, they, were, they were needing encouragement to know not only that God still had work for them, but that God had not forgotten about them. And, you know, we've talked about over and over that, that many of us live in that same space in our crazy, busy, hectic, difficult world. That we need to be reminded that God is not only not forgotten about us, but he still has a plan and purpose and work for us to do in the midst of all our craziness and our mistakes and our busyness. And so James chapter 5, verse 12 kind of brings us to this idea that is kind of, if you read it as a narrative, if you're reading from like last week, we were in verse 7, reading down, and if you jump into verse 13 and kind of continue it on, verse 12 seems very out of place. It does not kind of uh, attribute to this continued narrative, but it's kind of this thing that just pops out. And we can tell from the very beginning what James is trying to do here is he's tying all these things together with this single idea. And this morning, I want us to try to take away, as we get into this, try to take away this very truth from the text that we'll read this morning and how we'll tie this all together. But it's this idea, uh, if, we could, if we could understand this, and it'll be on the screen for us. It's that our words and our actions would bring clarity, not confusion. That our words and our actions, these things meshing and matching up like we've been talking about, would bring clarity and not confusion. You know, James is beginning to kind of land the plane on this main point that the book of James has been lining out, is that our faith and our work are a clear representation of not only who God is in our lives, but who God is for our lives and what God is doing with our lives. And so this morning, like I said, this verse is very different. It's very kind of, it, it sticks out in regards to comparing it to the verses that are around it. And, and there's weight to this verse. There's weight to what he's trying to communicate here because of how he starts verse 12. He says this in verse 12, he says, above all, this is the only time in the book of James where he's communicated this phrase. Now, we've, we've read at other times where he's brought uh, attention, where he says, come now, where he's trying to draw us into attention. But here in verse 12, he says, but above all, almost communicating like this idea of especially this, or if nothing else, this. He's trying to really bring us into this idea of what he's trying to say here, knowing that, as we know, he's talking about our speech and how we act and how we speak, uh, that our speech is a revealing look at our spiritual condition. And so I believe that is very much the reason why this verse is planted right in between patience and suffering and prayer and, and consideration for the sick is because he's telling us that he's telling us that there's something within these verses that we need to see. There's something in here that we need to grab a hold on to and allow this to manifest in our life. He says, above all things, you know, above everything, especially within this. And so what does he tell us to do? Continuing in verse 12, he says, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. And so 
a lot of time, first off, we need to realize he says, my brothers do not swear. And so he's telling, he's talking to, like we've said over and over and again, James is writing to believers. You don't see these commands to non-believers. You don't see these commands to people who don't believe in Jesus, who aren't following Jesus. He's speaking to Christians, people who claim to be Christians to live out a certain way. He's speaking directly to their actions, uh, communicating again, the truth spoken straight from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew verses five through seven, is that, that there is a certain Christian character or how a kingdom citizen looks and lives and how that is lived out. And so he's bringing us into that idea again. And just to kind of jump over uh, to Matthew chapter 5, I'll read it uh, for you, but you can turn there if you want to. Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 through 37, we see this same truth communicated there where Jesus is, is speaking into the kingdom citizen character, how a kingdom citizen lives, a child of God lives. And he says in verse 33, he says of, of Matthew chapter 5, he says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven or for it is the throne of God. Verse 35, or by the earth, for it is the footstool or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no, anything more comes from evil. And so Jesus writing to, uh, speaking to believers, James writing to believers, you know, he's communicating to us this accurate representation of what a kingdom citizen is. He's telling us very clearly that there is something about a kingdom citizen that you can see and that is tangible. And so we need to first clear, clarify what this text is not saying. This text is not saying that we don't swear by things. This text is not saying that we don't say the word swear or that we don't take oaths in public settings or, or you know, our, our, our judicial system, those type of things. They do oaths and there's oaths that we take. I mean, God himself uh, made oaths to his people twice in Hebrews, a couple times in the Gospels. We see God himself take oaths. So he's not communicating this saying that we don't swear by something or we don't we don't uh, we don't add that kind of level of accountability to the things that we say. Because, I mean, like we said, we see that in courtroom settings uh, when we're called to be witnesses. Right. It says that we'll swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help us, God. So what we're doing, this idea of an oath is it's this call to honesty, you know, uh, claiming to be a witness to something and and promising, making an oath to clearly represent what we have to say and what kind of witness that we are. There's an honesty, an authenticity, a clarity that Jesus and James are both speaking about, you know, staking your integrity. When we're making an oath, what we're doing is we're staking our integrity on what we're saying. And so what is James speaking to us specifically? Well, I believe this morning that James is communicating two things to us this morning, as we'll see through this text. Two things that he wants us to see. And so one of those things is, is, is kind of speaking into the time that what they were doing and what they were, and how that kind of can apply to us. And then another way of how maybe even a little more applicable to us. But the first thing Jesus and James were both calling out those uh, people is he's calling out those people living in loopholes. Okay, they were living in these loopholes. And what I mean by that is when we make an oath to something, there should be weight to that oath. 
right? If we're making a promise, we're committing to something, especially when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. Deuteronomy talks about it in this way. If you, have, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. Verse 23 says, You shall be careful to do what, what has passed your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. And so this idea of an oath is this call to a superior, uh, call on a superior to witness your promise and hold you accountable. Okay. And so what Jesus and James are speaking to, and I believe it's, it's faults that we maybe find ourselves falling into even now is that they are swearing, they're calling out individuals and people who are swearing by things that allow loopholes, that allow flexibility, that deny some sense of accountability because they're swearing by lesser things. They're swearing by lesser things. And what do I mean by that? Well, it says that they're swearing by heaven. It says that they're swearing by earth. They're swearing by Jerusalem. It says that they're swearing by their own heads. They're swearing by their own uh, promises or their own accountability. And they're, what they're trying to do, swearing by these lesser things, these, it's these weak attempts to try to elicit some uh, credibility, but allowing for this flexibility for them to break away from those things. You know, this had to have been, as we see, seems to have been a problem in this time for these people uh, because, and, and I believe it's very even applicable to us where we are in our lives. You know, they're, what they're doing is they're swearing by these things. They're saying, well, by heaven, I'm going to do this or by, uh, by Jerusalem, I'm going to do this. By earth, I'm going to do this. Or, by my own head, I'm going to do this. Understanding that those are lesser things than God himself because they knew if they swore by God, then they would be held at a higher standard to do those things. And so what they're doing is they're staking their accountability. They're staking their integrity on things that will not hold them to their integrity will not hold them to their integrity. You know, and, and where I believe this finds its place in our lives is when we as Christians, we stake our integrity, we stake our witness strictly on our good works. We tell ourselves that I swear by my good works. I swear by the things that I am doing that I am keeping my oath to God, strictly by being good. You know, we were having a, a conversation this week just about there's so many good people in the world that do a lot of really good, great things that have nothing to do with our Savior. Being good is not enough. Swearing by our good works is not enough, just as if swearing by anything lesser than God himself is not good enough to establish and bring clarity to who we are as believers. There's something more to it. There's, there's so much more. You know, I, and I started to think about, you know, in, in reality, when we think about swearing, when we would swear, and, you know, not talking about cursing or that type of thing. We're talking about making oaths. You know, when we talk about swearing by something, uh, and, and I would think about myself as a kid, you know, we would always do this to try to really... Um, make people understand or believe in us, right? You know, we would just, we would speak some kind of truth. We would talk about something. And then if they didn't believe us, where did we go? Listen, I swear to God, I swear, right? I mean, we're trying to like amp things up when we start to swear about things. I, I swear to God, this is it. 
I swear to God this happened. I swear I'm trying to make you understand. You know, and so what we're doing is we're revealing that our character, our words aren't enough weight to bring truth to what we're saying, that we're having to swear by something to bring clarity to it or to help people understand it or make them trust us. You know, and as kids that we would you would you would do that. You know, I, I, I swear to God, I swear to God. You know, or we, we say, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> which I have kids now, but, you know, I, I, I swear by my kids' lives that this is the truth, right? You know, we, we just we continue to up the ante a little bit. You know, I, I swear by my kids' lives. Or, you know, as kids, we'd say, you know, I, even we would swear by ourselves. I cross my heart and hope to die. I, I, I promise you that this is the truth. You know, what it's revealing is that our character is not enough to carry our words, that we have to begin to pile these things up to bring integrity to what we say because the, simply the statement of what we've said is not enough. You know, this conversation, you know, bringing to us, kind of helping us understand that Jesus has taught that our conversation should be so honest, our character so true that we would not need crutches to rest on. We would not have to make oaths by things to try to bring clarity to who we are and what we stand for. You know, because the thing is, and the reason I believe that this is most important in the church is that the church should not be a people of ambig- uh, ambiguity, ambiguity. You know what I'm saying? Like it shouldn't be uh, up for interpretation. It should be very clear and very certain and very authentic and very honest. And it should not be dependent on us trying to build up that Honesty, build up that uh, that representation by adding words to it. Proverbs tells us that when words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. You know, it shouldn't take more words to communicate. I'm sorry, communicate that we are being honest. Communicate who we are. Communicate what we stand for. The more words we have to use to prove ourselves and our points should show us where our convictions and our actions are not lining up. That if our lives look different than the things we're trying to say, or if the things we're trying to say, they don't match what people are, are seeing from us, then it is not bringing clarity. It is bringing confusion. You know, and this all goes about how we, how we speak, how we carry ourselves, how our, how our, our lives are, are seen and our integrity, the integrity about us. You know, there's, it's so easy for us to live in the lies of certain things we say or do or, 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 or not being completely honest or open or, or misrepresenting God as claiming to be Christians, misrepresenting our, ourselves and our, our personal convictions. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, a little lie is like a little pregnancy. It doesn't take long before everyone knows. You know, James is bringing us to this idea of clarity. And then he continues on and he says specifically, he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And so the second thing this morning, not only living in the loopholes, swearing by lesser things, but the last thing, the second thing this morning is that we're, he's calling, they're both Jesus and James in these verses are both calling out the confusion and the hypocrisy caused by the inconsistency. He tells them, let your yes be yes. Let your word stand firm. Let your integrity be known. Leviticus 19.12, he says, you shall not swear by my name falsely, so profane the name of the Lord, for I am the Lord. 
Numbers 32, uh, 30, verse 2. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. James is calling us as Christians to let our lives be marked clearly. Let's be known for who we are. Let's be clear on who we are. You know, and the best example of this confusion is, is, is represented in the example of the Pharisees and their, hypocr- their hypocrisy. It was confusing. It was misleading. You know, who they were saying they were, but what they were doing wasn't matching up. And a lot of times we look at the example of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and we say, well, that's not us. That's not me. But in Christian culture today, it's very easy for us to begin to wear the cloaks of Pharisees and Sadducees, to begin to be religious people who our lives are not matching. They're not clear. It's very confusing. We don't know if they're really a Christian or what kind of Christian they are. There's all these different, you know, nuances that come with the way we act and the way we speak and the way that we talk. And for them, as as religious people, as them being a representation to the people, it was very confusing, very misleading because they were saying certain things, but they were living other ways. They were taking advantage of people. They were misrepresenting God. They were, uh, they were worried about their image. They were worried about their comfort. They were worried about everything at the expense of others and only focused on themselves. And with this, because the message of the gospel is not a selfish message. The message of the gospel is not a self-centered message because the God of the universe, the King of the universe, stepped down from his throne, put on broken flesh, and died a death that we deserved. He says, he, he says in his teaching, he says, the, the, the first will be last and the last will be first. He says, if you've come, you've come to be a servant. He said, the son of man came to be a servant. The gospel is not a selfish message. And so as Christians, if we are ever living our lives in this way that is focused on pleasing ourselves or our own comforts or our own image... It does not bring clarity to the message of the gospel, but it only brings confusion because the message of the gospel is giving. The message of the gospel is pouring ourselves out, whether that's before the Lord or whether that's before our brothers and sisters in Christ and the people around us. The greatest gift we give is clarity about who we are and who we live for. That is the greatest thing we can give anybody. And that's why James sees this is so important. He says, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Let the things that you say stand for themselves and let those things be consistent. Let those things be authentic. Let them be clear, you know, because this place is this idea is most important in our relationships and in our discipleships. Right. I mean, we think about our our, our message and our, our method being clear in our marriage. You know, I don't want my wife to have to guess how I feel about our our walk with the Lord and and, in our Christian faith in our home. That needs to be clear. The yeses and the noes being what they are. You know, for my kids, you know, it is unfair for me as a parent to teach them a certain way to live, but then to live differently than that. That doesn't bring clarity to the message of the gospel that I'm trying to communicate to them or the walk of the kingdom citizen that God's called us to. That only brings confusion. And as we know, things that elicit confusion only elicit this idea of rebellion. That we, we want to push away from things that are confusing, right? I mean, I, you pick up the book, the, the instructions of something you're trying to put together. If it doesn't make sense, we throw it away and we just try to do it ourselves. 
And with our Christian faith, so many people are trying to just do it themselves that they've made this makeshift Christianity out of their own ideas and life experiences that best fits into the circle of their life that they're interacting with. And it's not necessarily all their fault, even though it is in some respects, but it's also the fault of the church because we have not always brought clarity to the message of the gospel. We've only brought confusion to it because we're not adequately representing what the gospel is about. We, just like the Sadducees and Pharisees, have taken it to make it fit me, to make me comfortable. You know, to make me, it's more comfortable for me if these certain types of people aren't here. It's more comfortable for me if I'm not doing these certain type of, uh, types of things. It's more comfortable for me. So we're trying to make Christianity our own, when in reality, the Christianity that is true is not our own. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what he's called us to represent. He's called us to bring clarity to that message in how we live in our marriages, in our parenting, in our friendships, in the people that see us, we should be clear representations of the gospel. Does that mean that we're perfect? Absolutely not, because he doesn't just, and I love that James doesn't only use the word yes. Let your yeses be yes, and let all the time be yes. What does he say? Let your yeses be yes, but then let your noes be no. Listen, there's going to be times when, yes, I've got it all together. But you know what Jesus is also asking for? He's asking for the, no, I don't have it all together. He's he's saying, let it be clear. Let the positives be positive. But if it's negative, if there's something going on with you, if there's something you're struggling with, don't let the no be yes, if it's not yes. And if the yes is is not yes, let it be no. Like he's trying to bring us to this idea that to be authentic, to be real. He's saying that you, you don't have to create this image that is not clear. Because the reality is we all know. We all know when the no is no, and we all know when the yes is yes. But when we try to pretend like it's different, then that's what brings confusion to the lives and our people, and uh, the, the life that we live and what we're trying to represent. The worst thing we can do for any individual is to bring confusion to the gospel and who we are as Christian citizens in God's kingdom. And I love as Jesus continues to kind of bring about this idea. He further walks through it in Matthew 23. If you, if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew 23 with me. And, and I don't want us to finish up here because I, I think this is just... And Matthew 23 is an unbelievable chapter. I really want to encourage you to go back and read through Matthew 23 as he really lays into the Pharisees and Sadducees and their misrepresentation and the confusion that they're bringing to the table. But what we see Jesus do here is he's continuing to teach on this idea of your yes being yes and your no being no. Letting the things that you say and the things that you do, letting these things match up and be an accurate representation (coughs) of the gospel. Reading in verse 16, I'm going to read down to verse 23. As he begins, as he's speaking to those who are living this uncertain, cloudy, confusing, so-called religious Christian life. He says, Woe to you blind guides who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, If anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? 
So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Verse 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe, you give mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. He's telling them. I love how he how he walks through, how he changes, how he acknowledges them as he walks through. And he's speaking this to us this morning. I pray that we can look at the the uncertain things and the, the, the confusion that maybe we're living out in our own Christian lives. And as I evaluate mine, as we evaluate this together, he says, woe to you blind guides. He says, your confusion is leading people like the blind leading the blind. You don't know where you're going and the people you're bringing behind you don't know where y'all are going. And so it's just confusion. It's chaos. God is not an author of chaos. He is not an author of confusion. But when we're living through this inaccurate misrepresentation, we're not being real. We're not being authentic. We're not being clear in who we are, not being perfect at all. We're not meant to be perfect. Like we said, he uses yes and he uses no. And there is good and there is bad within that. But it's a about being clear. It's about being honest. He says, first off, they're blind guides that you don't know where you're going and you're leading people. Every person is leading somebody. Church, every one of you are leading somebody, whether you're leading your spouse, your kids, your friends, your coworkers, you are leading someone. And then in the next thing he calls him, he says, you blind fools, you have no understanding, no wisdom in you because of this misrepresentation, this lack of clarity. And then he says, you blind men, blind people, men and women, you don't know where you go or what you're doing. Because he says, and he shows us where the breakdown is. He shows us, and really this calls back to James, where James talked about, you know, our riches, where James talked about us worrying and having our anxieties about what we have and the things we have. I really think this verse begins to connect some of those things in James where he's telling them. He says, look, you know, you swear by the temple or you swear by the gold. You swear by the gifts or you swear by the altar. And I think this is very interesting as we were finishing up here this morning. But I just want us to see this, that there's these elements that he brings to the table. The temple, the altar, the gold, the gift. And he communicates how separately these things hold no value. The temple, the gold, the altar, the gift. But what he's trying to tell us, where he's bringing clarity to the situation, that it's these elements combined that bring clarity to the message of God. And so when I say that, what do I mean? The gold and we think of that as, as, as our riches. You know, I mean, anytime gold is used in the Bible, it's meant to communicate this idea of riches. It's meant to communicate what we see as valuable. It's meant to communicate what is most important to us. And so he says, you know, there's the gold, but then there's the temple. And so what is the temple? For them, the temple was a place of worship. For them, the temple was the place where the presence of God dwelled. 
For them, the temple was the place where the people would gather together in community and focus in on God and His goodness. But He shows us, He tells us, these two things separately, what you see as valuable and the worship of God, those things individually, they don't amount to it. But He says when you combine those things, when you bring what is valuable to you, into the temple of God, into the presence of God, into the worship of God, that's where the very things that we value become sacred. And then that brings clarity to what God's trying to do because he's trying to take who we are and what we have and the value of what we have and he's trying to make it sacred. He's trying to make it set apart. He's trying to make it something special. You know, we've talked about God says there's no problem with having. He says there's no problem with, with having, uh, having time, having things, having, have, being blessed. But he says it's about bringing clarity as how we use what we have. You know, where the Pharisees and the Sadducees, where they fell short is that they just wanted to get, get, get without giving. And so what does he say? Is he said the gold by itself without the temple is worthless. But he says, when you bring that gold and it's in the temple, it's the temple that makes the gold sacred, the, 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 the gold separately from, from the temple, the gold separately from the presence of God, the gold separately from worshiping a holy God. He said, it's worthless. And so the first element of, of living a clear life, a yes and a no life is taking what we have valuable and putting it down before the Lord Jesus intertwining what is valuable to us in our worship of God, putting those things together so that there's one life lived. There's one play. There's one storehouse in our life that my valuables, that, that what is valuable to me, what is most valuable to me is in the presence of God. And then the next thing he says is the gift. So what is the gift? You know, and, and, and I believe that for us, what is, the, what is that kind of, thing for us is, is our abilities, who we are, what we've been given the abilities to do, you know, uh, the, what we are able to give, what we're able to provide. And then he, the, the illustration to con connect with that is the altar. And what happens on the altar? The altar is a place of sacrifice. The altar is a place of sanctification that something is made holy. And when the altar was used, it was used in the confidence that God would provide, right? That I'm giving because I know God's going to provide. And so when he's showing us, and I believe what this text, and when he's, when he's rebuking the Pharisees, rebuking the religious folk, he's telling us, he's telling them what is most valuable to you, bring into the presence of God. Allow God to dictate it. Allow God to make it special. Allow God to use it. And then he says, the gift, your gifts, your abilities, what you have to give, lay it on the altar. Sacrifice it to him. Put it before him. And he'll not only make it holy, he'll not only bring value to it, but he'll provide in the midst of that. Because really what he's showing us here is that both of these things, the gold and the gifts, it's something that we have. It's something that we have. And then the altar and the temple is the place in the work of God. 
And so what he's calling us to do is to bring what we have and to approach what God has and mesh those things together, together to live one life. One life communicated, one message communicated, one thing seen from who we are and what we're about. Because what is most important about what he's telling us with our yes being yes and our no being no is that our goal should be that our lives would convey clarity and not confusion. That it, we would be, that it would be honesty and not hypocrisy. You know, these people swore on things that ultimately, you know, they're swearing by heaven, they're swearing by, by earth, they're swearing by Jerusalem, they're swearing by their, their head, th themselves. You know, they were swearing, putting their stake in these things that ultimately would, would never convict them. These things that would never make them face their dishonesty, never make them face their, their, their faults and their failures. And listen, that sounds great. That sounds great, right? To never have to face where we fall morally. To never have to face where we make mistakes. To never have to face where, where we've fallen short. And listen, there, that, that seems very comfortable and very great. But the thing about these things that they were swearing by that they also would not do is that these things would never bless them. These things would never save them. These things would never give them true purpose and value in life. You know, and, and that's why when he's drawing us into this, he wants us to understand that the greatest oath that we could ever make, the greatest place at which we stake our honesty, our integrity, the greatest witness that we could ever draw for ourselves, the superior witness to your promise and, hold, and to hold us accountable is to put it all into the Lord, putting our gold into the temple, putting our, our sacrifice onto the altar, our gifts onto the altar to be sacrificed and sanctified and made holy. tells us that the clear representation of the gospel is made when we mesh and merge everything that we have with everything he does. Because in that, like he said in those verses, we'll begin to see the weightier matters of life, justice and mercy, how we treat other people, showing justice to those who need justice, mercy to those who need mercy, and then our faithfulness to God our worship of him, knowing that our yes is yes. Yes, Lord, it's good. Yes, Lord, I need this. And then the no's of, no, God, I've, I've failed. No, God, I, I need more. No, God, I'm still struggling. No, God, it's not great right now. A call to clarity is not a call to perfection, church. He calls us clarity, to be honest about where we are, who we are, and what we're walking through and what we're dealing with. That's the call in our lives. And I pray that we could be those people. I pray that, that we could be an accurate representation of the gospel because that's what this is about. And as, as we move into the next couple of weeks, we'll see why those things are so important. That, the, that, our, clear, that, that our character as a Christian, as a, as, a, as a kingdom citizen, is a clear representation of the holy God that we serve and what he wants to do in us and through us for the people around us. So can that be our prayer this morning? If you would, just bow your heads with me and let's just seek the Lord this morning. God, I, I, you know, in praying that he would, he, would, he would help you to see, as, as I've prayed this week, God, show me where I don't bring clarity to the gospel in my life. Maybe that's with my kids. Maybe that's with my spouse. Maybe that's with the people that, that, that I'm around. You know, just asking God, show me, 
Show me where I am not bringing clarity, God, to who you are. Lord, am I, am I being an accurate representation of your justice, of your mercy, of your faithfulness to us? Seek him, Lord. Ask him. He calls us to come. He calls us to draw near. Lord, give me the strength. Lord, give us the strength. Ask him to give you the strength to, to live clearly. Not perfectly. Understanding that we will never live perfectly. But that we can live honestly, authentically, authentically, with clarity about who we are and what God's done for us. And then it doesn't matter what burdens we've come in here with this morning. He says, bring your burdens. If the burdens are clouding up our lives, keeping us from clarity, he says, bring your burdens. He says, and I'll start to work on you. Father God, we just thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for your goodness. God, I thank you for the message of the gospel that, that you just made so clear to me through wonderful people in my life. God, the, the gospel is about mercy. It's about justice. It's about faithfulness. It's about the grace that you offer to us. God, and I pray, I pray that we as Christians here this morning, God, could be an accurate representation of that gospel. God, that just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it's so easy for us to find ourselves bringing confusion, dependent on other things to prove who you are, but ultimately bringing confusion. God, I pray that our oath would be to you. God, that, that we, if we swear by anything, we stake our lives on anything, we, we do it by you. God, not flippantly, God, not, not, not shallow, but God, truly just committing our lives, God. Lord, asking you to work on us. God, so that not only will we, will we accept the accountability of that weighty oath, God, but that we would also be in that, accepting the grace and the mercy and the justice and the faithfulness in that oath. God, that as we receive it from you, God, we would give it to others around us. God, and like the gold and the gifts that we have, God, that we would be bringing those things to you, God, meshing our worship and our sacrifice, God, giving to you and giving to others around us, Lord. That is what the gospel is about. Father, I pray that you would use us to bring clarity to your message and to your method. Father, we love you and thank you and praise you in Jesus' name.